Happy Monday morning, everybody. Pastor Paul out here enjoying the awesome, cool autumn air on the Gilbert back porch. It is, let's see here, Monday, September 27th, 2021 in the year of our Lord. This is Romans Rewind. We take 10, 15 minutes every weekday right here to unpack a portion of Romans that we've been walking through on Sunday mornings at Four Oaks. And we have got a lot to cover this week because we had a very big passage on Sunday. Now, I want to read a portion of the passage that we dug into yesterday at Four Oaks. And I want to revisit an issue um, that, that I address in the sermon, but obviously um, we can spend a little more time unpacking it here. And it's actually a question one of you submitted, and it relates to the nature of the relationship between faith and works. How is a person saved? How is a person justified? Um, because what Paul says in this second chapter of Romans is pretty stark uh, for our 21st century evangelical ears. And so let me read um, a couple of the passages or verses in question, and then let's get to it. Paul says, or do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now here's, here's the key verses. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will be he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Now, as we mentioned yesterday, when you hold up these verses in light of what Paul says just a chapter down the road, when he is talking about justification, I'll read from Romans 3 just for a second here. He says, For there is no distinction for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And so Paul there lays out the classic doctrine of justification, that it's not based upon what you and I do um, in our works of, um, of goodness or righteousness that secure our standing before God. It is the righteousness of Christ imputed, given to us. In fact, we can find that same concept in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, the gift of God that no man should boast. And then we get a passage like this, how it, it seems that God is saying he's going to render um, to us, to everyone, according to the deeds we perform. Now, understand something. This is not a singular text in the New Testament that says this, right? If you flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul makes it the same sort of point there when he says this, um, verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And we are trying to understand how these things mesh together, understanding that Scripture does not contradict itself. Scripture interprets Scripture. Is Paul contradicting himself? And the answer to all that is no, no, no. Okay. And I, I thought about this in terms of an analogy to try to 
kind of flesh it out on a human level. Let, let, let me say the analogy first, and then I want to go to James and, and show how these things come together. So imagine that someone is convicted of a crime, okay, based upon the evidence presented at court. We would say that the evidence um, flows out of the reality, and this is a person who really did commit the crime, that the evidence that's presented at trial flows out of the ultimate reality that this crime was committed. It's not as if evidence was brought to the court that was completely absent the crime, and then the innocence or guilty verdict was determined based upon this evidence abstractly or evidence um, um, given out of a context. The evidence didn't make this crime true. The evidence didn't make this person commit the crime. The evidence only um, is relevant in the fact that it points to the ultimate reality, whether someone committed this crime or not. So let's think about this with, with God for a second. We know that we're declared righteous by faith in Christ. And what we're asking here, I think what Paul's addressing is not how is someone saved, but how do you know someone is saved? And Paul seems to be saying, and I think we're going to show in James the same thing, where a life that's truly been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, that there will be marks of the Spirit, that there will be evidence of the Spirit, right? And that this evidence um, will testify to the true condition and nature of a person's heart. And so here on the last day, remember, just kind of picture everyone gathered around the throne of God, so to speak. We don't know how this is exactly going to work. And God is rendering judgment, okay? So he's the judge in the courtroom. And as the evidence is brought forward, evidence of righteousness or works for believers, evidence of unrighteousness for unbelievers, God will render a verdict. Now understand, God knows all. God knows the heart. And so he's not like a human judge, right? And it's not as if the evidence in itself, okay, saves or doesn't save someone it's the evidence testifies to what in fact is reality and what scripture seems to say over and over again is that a heart truly regenerated will slowly sometimes haltingly sometimes three steps forward two steps back sometimes will in fact reflect the character and grace and glory of god we are changed from the inside out and as our hearts are changed our actions change it doesn't mean believers can't fall into sin. It doesn't mean that we sometimes can't fall into heinous sin and, and long periods of rebellion. Um, but it does mean that the marks of conversion show up in our lives. And this provides the evidence. And upon this evidence, God, who already knows our status, declares us guilty or not guilty. The evidence doesn't make us guilty or not guilty. It's, it's simply the testimony to the true condition of our hearts. Now, I think one of the reasons that as 21st century or 20th century evangelicals living in North America, we get tripped up on these things is because I think we've been taught uh, or, or some traditions of Protestantism have taught a real shallow view of conversion or a real cheap grace. And, and we've assumed that coming down the aisle is the same thing as coming to Christ. Now, it might be, it might be that a person's heart is really regenerated 
and that they're coming down the aisle or them signing a commitment card or praying a prayer is in fact reality. Many of us, many of you were saved this way, but, but it doesn't make it automatic. It's not like an incantation. It's not like um, we can point to a simple decision that we made in the past where nothing changes in our life. Then we could say that then maybe that person probably didn't understand what they were doing. The saying of a prayer or the walking down the aisle is not a ritual that saves one, right? Only Christ saves a person. And so what we're saying is that, that our ultimate assurance is not based upon a time we can look back to and say, well, it was that time in this way, in this way. Um, well, some of us can do that, but that's not necessary, right? What's necessary is, do I have saving faith right now? Have I trusted in Jesus right now? And um, and that work, Paul says, that God begins in the heart, um, he will carry to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. And those who belong to God will persevere in doing good and good works, as the scriptures say. Now, what does James say about this? James is, again, one of those passages that's often quoted as contradicting this idea of justification by faith. And I want to read the relevant section because, again, this is something that can trip us up, okay? Um, we are looking in James chapter 2. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he hath, has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believed and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. As the scripture says, was filled, Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Okay, so again, somebody could point out, well, Paul says we're justified by faith. James says we're not justified by faith, just by faith and works. Well, two things to note about this passage. One, James is not talking about genuine faith. He's talking about an intellectual faith, a faith that even, he says, the demons have. So do the demons believe there's one God? Of course. Do demons know that Jesus is the Christ? Of course. But are they saved? Is that knowledge saved them? It does not, Paul says. Um, that's not the kind of knowledge that saves a believer. Intellectual knowledge is important, but it's not all that's sufficient. It's not sufficient in and of itself. There has to be a movement of the heart and the will to grab hold and to be trusting in Christ. So one, Paul's not talking, I mean, James is not talking about genuine biblical faith. He's contrasting genuine biblical faith with dead intellectual demonic faith. The second thing to note is that James is using the word justified differently than Paul. Now we know this in English that we often have used the same word to mean different things in different contexts. And so when Paul talks about justified, he, he's talking about the process of being declared righteous as a legal act. When James uses the word justify, it means more to reveal. So, for, so if I were to say justify your answer, then you would explain a little bit more, right? Well, this is the way James is using it. He's saying that, that 
the way that work, way that genuine faith is demonstrated, or the way that it's proven, if I can use that term, with by evidence, is by the works that happen in someone's life. And so, justify means to show. It means to reveal. It means to expose. And the way Paul uses it, justify means to declare righteous. So, so they're talking about different realities. But it's interesting, both Paul and James quote the same verse, Habakkuk 2.14, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, as pointing to the fact that justification, or that salvation, excuse me, is wholly a work of God by God's grace. Now, that's, I think, as best we can do this morning in the minutes that we have. If you still have questions or things that are popping into your mind as, as we talk about this, then then email me paul.gilbert at fourworkschurch.com and we'll work work our way, work those questions back into the flow of things. Um, but for this week, we're going to continue to camp out in Romans chapter 2, revisiting some of these themes that we talked about yesterday in the sermon at Four Oaks. So submit your questions and um, we'll act, unpack something new tomorrow morning. Um, but again, it's a reminder, we don't when we see fruit in our lives and obedience, it shouldn't tell us I'm worthy of salvation. I've earned my salvation. It should tell us God is working in our life. He is the one producing the good fruit and it provides an assurance for us. Okay. That, um, indeed God's spirit is at work and evident in our life. And so when we understand how these things work together, it's just a beautiful thing. It's just, um, a means of assurance that God gives us that's ultimately bound up in the person and work of Christ on our behalf. All right, let me pray. Lord, we need your help on these things. We need you to help us discern and parse them out. And so, Lord, we pray that you continue to bring clarity around these ideas, these most important issues of faith and justification and works and how they relate together. But, Lord, we know that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And it's in his name that we pray.